is Happiness Solved with Sandy Scarlatta. Stay tuned for my interview with author J.B. Kane. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Happiness Solved. I am so excited to share the interview that I had today with uh, J.B. Kane. But before I get to that, I want to talk about what was going on in my little brain today because it was, I, I sometimes I look back and I, I just scratch my head and I'm like, seriously, do you really go there today? So I was having a tremendous amount of anxiety about the release of my book, mainly because some people that I know already received it and I don't have it yet, which, which is fine. But the anxiety was, was coming more from, did they read it yet? What did they think? You know, like all of that crazy stuff. So I get some free copies from the publisher, but before they ship those out, I need to make a determination of how many books I want to order in addition to those. And, and I, haven't, I haven't quite made the decision of the type of investment I want to make and do I want to sell them on my own or do, you know, what do I want to do? So when I found that it was available, I went on Amazon.com and I ordered a hardcover version of the book because I figured, well, I, I need to get this, you know, I want to have it as soon as possible so I can see it, obviously. It's, you know, for anybody out there who's written a book, that's the most exciting part about it is when you actually can hold it in your hands. So when I ordered it, it said it would be delivered on Saturday. Well, then it said the following Wednesday. But I had already had people who already received it by Saturday. So I went back on Amazon and I ordered a soft cover version. And I'm going to get that on Wednesday, right? So I'll get both copies then. So the anxiety was just almost debilitating today. And I don't have time for that because, by the way, I do have a full-time job that pays my bills. And, uh, you know, and it, and it probably lasted maybe about 10 minutes. It, it, you know, it didn't consume too much of my day, just in case my boss is listening. <laughs> but um, it was just, I mean, just the, the, the anxiety and, and the level of angst that, that it, I was causing myself. I literally was causing this to myself. There was no other reason other than my own crazy brain that, you know, Freddie the fucker, <laughs> excuse my French, sitting on my shoulder, you know, and it was just, anyway. So what I did, and this is how I, I generally get out of those places is, you know, and, and I just tell people when I coach them, you know, you need to figure out what works for you. While I'm a very spiritual person, it doesn't, you know, you need to figure out what works for you in terms of, you know, do you pray? Do you take deep breaths? You know, there's a, there's a lot of different tools to help you relieve your anxiety. For me, I turn to praying because that's what makes sense for me. That's what feels right for me. And I tend to really deeply resonate with Archangel Michael. So I started talking to him and I, I'm just like, hey, Michael, you know, help me out here. And, you know, I'm going on and on and on. And, and sure enough, my anxiety went away and I felt great. My day went on. And I, I share this with you because I know that's an issue for a lot of people, you know, or you worry about what other people think. You worry about, you know, what if they don't like this? And, and I even say in my book, you know, multiple times, what other people think of you is none of your business. So of course, you know, I tried not to, I, I started for a nanosecond to beat myself up, you know, my God, Sandy, my God, you know, walk the talk, right? And, and I do live my life that way. But then I have to remind myself, well, you know what, I am human. And it's okay. I can get back to that place. And I did. The important thing, if you find yourself in a tizzy, you know, whatever it may be, it's okay number one. Number two, the important thing is how you handle it after that. You know, like when I realized and recognized what was happening and I was able to for a split second, okay, stop, snap my fingers, you know, and what do I need to do? What tools, you know, you've got all these tools, get back to that place. And I was able to get back to that place of peace and happiness surrounding this, this release of my book. And it's totally okay. And whenever I get it, I'm going to get it. If I don't get it till Thursday, that's okay. You know, I mean, it's not as if I don't know what it says. It's just I want to hold it, right? So anyway, so yeah, today I'm speaking with author J.B. Kane. Her name is Jennifer. Her pen name is J.B. Kane. And I really didn't know much about her. She gave me a short blurb, you know, in her bio, and I, I knew she was a school teacher. 
you know, and I always, I tell people, you know, this podcast is about helping. I want to share inspiring stories because I want people to have some good things to hear about. You know, we have too much negativity in the world right now. And so when she started sharing her story, I I was just like, whoa, like, I just couldn't even imagine being in that situation. But then, you know, we got onto this topic about, you know, how she raises her daughter and you know, her, her daughter's now a teenager. And it was like, wow, you know, she's just an incredible role model to her students as a mother, as a wife. So I hope you enjoy this interview. It, it was truly delightful for me. Hey, Jennifer, how are you today? I'm great, Sandy. How are you? Awesome. 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 Happy. Thanks for having me here today. Oh, you! thank you for joining me. So excited. <laughs> so let's see. So you're a teacher, debate coach. Tell me a little bit about what you do. Okay. So um, I'm actually blessedly, like I'm so close to retirement, I can kind of see it at this point. But I have been a high school teacher for 28 years, if you count this year. So I teach English, but I also uh, am the speech and debate coach. I started the team at the school where I am, been coaching for 20 years. So in addition to that, a couple of years ago, I got back into writing, which has been sort of the real dream that I've had sort of my whole life. My whole life, I had two things I really wanted to be. I wanted to be a mom and I wanted to be a writer. And the first one worked out awesome. Uh, and then just, you know, as way led on to way, you know, I kind of forgot about the writing thing, not really forgot about, but just kind of set it aside. And then I found it again a couple of years ago. And so now I'm working on that so that when I retire, I have somewhere to go. <laughs> That's great. Well, I find as a writer as well, that like my most recent book, I started writing it in 2014. And then things just got really busy with my son. And I just put it aside. And when I dropped him off at college, right, mm-hmm. it was August of 2019. It was like, and like, yeah. And it was, I think it was just, it's hard. Like for me, and I don't, you know, everybody is different as a writer. And I think you've, from what I read in your bio, you've been, you know, writing ever since you were a child. That was not the case for me. So I started writing in my 40s and now I'm in my mid 50s. So for me, I can't have a lot of clutter going on in my mind. Yeah. Because it's very hard for me to write when I have that clutter. Yeah, that's something actually Stephen King talks about that too, because he was an English, she was trying to be an English teacher and a writer at the same time. And he said, your head is just too full. It's hard to write when you have kids' lives in your head all day. Um, It's hard to then go home and get into some fictitious world. So I think it's, that was definitely part of it, but. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, that's really exciting. So what type of books do you write about? Well, I, um, you know, they always say, write what you know. And um, so I've been around high school students for the most of my time every single day. So I write young adult literature and I've always, um, you know, reality is what it is, but I've always, you know, when I look at TV or reading or whatever, I always want to escape to some other world. So my focus at this point, although it may not stay there forever, but right now the books that I'm working on are, are young adult paranormal. So um, they all have sort of a, not fantasy, you know, like, no dragons or unicorns or anything, but uh, like a paranormal aspect, a metaphysical aspect to them. Well, that's really popular. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's the, the market is a little saturated, but <laughs> hey, you know, I, I, that's what I love to read. And I think a lot of, uh, a lot of that age group likes to read that kind of stuff because they get a, a lot of reality all day and maybe they want a departure from that when they leave. So Exactly. No, that's exciting. That's exciting. Yeah. So I want well, I want to talk more about your book later, but okay. for now, you know, happiness solved, we're all about I just want to put really good, happy, feel good stories out there because we're filled with so much negativity in today's world. It's crazy. Oh, we need so much of it, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So tell me about a time in your life where Things were just, you know, you'd never been in that place before. And how did you get yourself out of it? Well, there's been, there's been a, you know, like anybody's life, you know, there's, there's highs and lows. And my husband is a truly remarkable human. um, And he has a double lung transplant and there were. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. um, So he has cystic fibrosis and he got to a point where, I mean, he was very healthy for a long time. And then all of a sudden he started to get sick and went downhill really fast. And there was about maybe a year where he was so ill, he really couldn't leave the house. 
Uh, and we had uh, a small daughter. My daughter was like three at the time. So I was being a full-time teacher, a full-time debate coach, for all intents and purposes, in some ways, a, a nurse. Although, you know, he, bless him, tried to be as self-sufficient as he could, but, you know, he could barely walk across a room. So, uh, and then, you know, being a new mom, because we adopted our daughter at uh, eight months. So I really hadn't been a mom all that long. And it just, uh, it, it did definitely become really overwhelming for a while there. And, you know, you, you don't want to constantly, I, I think probably a lot of people suffer from this, where you don't want to constantly burden other people asking for help and that kind of thing. And then, you know, my husband had his, his lung transplant. And amazingly, he was only on the, on the list for like nine weeks, which is, I mean, that's unheard of. But once he had his lung transplant, he, you know, even still for like a, a year after that, you know, he, he still had to do a lot of healing and that kind of stuff. And so anyway, they just the, back to the idea of, you know, sort of a, a dark time. That was a really, really stressful time, not just for me. I mean, our whole family, certainly. Now, wait a second. Did they replace both lungs at the same time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can't. It's not really, I mean, if they're going to do it, they just go ahead and do it usually. So with lungs, it's not like a kidney where they do one or the other. Most of the time they do double if they're going to do it. Well, what was that like for you? Him going under the knife? I mean, there's so many what ifs, which, which you know, that's my big thing. Let's not go down that road. But yeah. when it's your husband and you love him and he's the father of your child, yeah, anything, a million things could have gone wrong and you can't live without your lungs. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. And um, I mean, I, because of the fact that he had cystic fibrosis, you know, we knew for a long time that at some point it might come to this. So, you, you know, you think you're mentally prepared, but, you know, the sicker he got, I mean, he got down to about 18% lung function before he finally had the surgery. And um, so that was, um, it was really scary. Um, I was kind of, I mean, that whole, that whole last year, I was kind of in a constant state of fear because, you know, if he, if he walked from one side of the room to the other and I tried to call him and he left his cell phone on the other side, he couldn't pick up the phone because he couldn't make it back. And then you probably start going into a tizzy because... Well, and of course, yeah, being at school and I was teaching, there were a bunch of times where if he didn't answer the phone, I'd literally on my conference period, I would just leave. And I'd come back, but I would just go to make sure he was okay because I was just in this constant state of agitation. I mean, and after a while, that really plays a major, it, it takes a lot of toll on you. So when he finally did go in for his surgery, I was obviously very nervous because it is, it is a major, major, major surgery. But his, funnily enough, his mother had had double lung transplant just 16 months before. No way. How does that yeah. happen in one family? I don't, it wasn't even the same condition. He had um, holy moly. She had a, a a totally different condition, and um, so I guess I feel like I'm very I'm a very optimistic person by nature, and I really felt like when that happened with her and and worked out very well for her, I felt like the universe was kind of preparing me. Yeah, no kidding. You know, I just I really felt that way, and then you know, his father was able to right after uh, my husband's surgery was able to come down for you know three weeks. And uh, my husband stayed in a like one of those residence hotels while I renovated the house and had all the carpet taken out and and that kind of stuff to make it safer for him to come home. And so I really felt like the thing that I had to do during that time was to constantly focus on the things that I had to be grateful for. Like, um, oh, good for you. Yeah, I just, I mean, the the fact that they were able to find him loans so quickly. The fact that they were able to even find a fit because most people, most people with cystic fibrosis who have a lung transplant, the the lungs have to be small because most people with with cystic fibrosis have, they're usually smaller just because they don't tend to grow as much because their airways or their digestion are somewhat stunted because of the the condition. Um, And it just so happens that my husband's a little over six feet. And so organs for people who are tall come up a lot faster than Organs for people who are small, and just every day when we do our our uh, you know our prayers at dinner, we, we make a point of thanking uh, and and praying for my husband's donor's family, and also the the sacrifice that that you know of the that they had to lose someone so that he could be with us, and so we always try to remember that gratitude is really the thing that no matter how 
no matter how dark things are, there's always something to be grateful for. And we just really tried to focus on that. And my daughter was an incredible light during that time because she's just, she's just the most bubbly, wonderful little girl. And so even though it was stressful, she always gave me something positive to focus on. And, well, and you had to be there for her. Yeah. Yeah. Now, how, now she was only three at the time. Um, she was three when he had his transplant. Yeah. So, and that's, he's 10 years out now. So, wow. um, yeah, so we've been very fortunate and, um, you know, I mean, there's obviously like anything, you know, and of course this pandemic has been really, we've had to be super careful because, you know, double lung transplant. I mean, we, my husband has only left the house. I mean, he's only been in a public place once since last March. So, you know, that's, it's one of those things that could have been very stressful for us and it could have been very dark. I, in particular, more than either one of them, I'm very, very social. So, you know, and the idea of me somehow coming back to school, because of course, Florida schools went back in more or less on time, or at least in my county, they did. Just the fear of that I would bring something home and infect him. So I've basically been living in the guest room. Wow. Since August. And so that's, you know, there, all these things, it could be, I mean, it, it, that is really hard. You know, I can't, I can't hug him or kiss him or anything. I can be in the same room with him. Now, are you wearing a mask when you're in the same room with him? No, not at home. Um, because what happens is I wear an N95 all day at work. Okay. And I have an air purifier going in my room and I sanitize everything and I'm kind of completely neurotic about it. And then the minute I go home, just as, just like, uh, as if I were a surgeon, I literally walk straight in. All my clothes go in a separate hamper. I go into the shower. I wash off. I'm on 400 different supplements, I think, that, you know, anything that seems to show any clinical benefit to either fighting COVID or preventing you from being susceptible to COVID. So I'm on all of that stuff and daily temperature checks and all that kind of stuff. And it, it is, you know, it's a lot. But again, my daughter has chosen bless her heart. She's 13 now. She's chosen to stay home for the whole year and do remote learning because it's safer for her dad. And she's never complained about it and all that sort of stuff. And so, uh, you know, the thought of me bringing something home and putting my family at risk is just horrifying. So, so again, you know, it's so funny because I, I was talking about gratitude. So at the beginning of 2020, the dumpster fire of 2020, we we actually bought this giant jar um, and little note cards. And throughout the year, the idea was we would write things to be grateful for and put them in the jar. Uh, and then on New Year's Eve 2021, we would start reading them and, and thinking about all the things we were grateful for. Well, of course, it turned out that 2020 was just one insanity after another, it's, you know, from wildfires to COVID to everything else. But that we kept up with that jar the whole time. And it just, it reminded us every single day that things might be bad, but there's always a reason to be grateful. And that's, yes, that's been so, it's been so integral, um, you know, that we can go on walks together and that we, we have neighbors that'll help each other out. And that, you know, that our daughter has been so understanding and that my husband loves to cook because it's really been a, burden off. I mean, it's been a, a blessing to all of us that he loves to cook because we can't go out anymore. So, <laughs> you know, it's so many things that are positive that we just focus on because it would be so easy just to fall into a state of, of sadness or depression or, and when I say depression, I don't necessarily mean it clinically, but you know, just, oh, just a, a, being really sad. All yeah. The time. Just being yeah. really sad because of all the things we can't do and all the things we don't have and, and that kind of stuff. So, not to say those never creep in, because of course, of course they, do. they do. You're human. Of course they do. It's okay. <laughs> so we just, yeah, but we just, you know, that's that's one of the we just have made sort of a little family pact to just keep reminding each other. Yeah, oh my but gosh, I love that. <laughs> that's real. That's really incredible, though. And that's oh my gosh. So I have to ask you: Does yeah. does the cystic fibrosis alone make him vulnerable, or is it more? The, I mean, obviously the lung transplant. But if he didn't have that, would he still be considered? Just trading one for another, to be honest with you, because um, when before he had the lung transplant, cystic fibrosis affects your lungs. So it, you know, among well, it also affects your digestive system, but it affects your lungs a lot. And so you're really so he would have been affected regardless. Yeah, you would have been. He was super susceptible to any kind of lung infection yeah. that might be out there. Got it. But then after he had the lung transplant, he's on 
all kinds of medications so that he doesn't reject the lungs. And all of those are immunosuppressant. So he, you know, because if your body sees something in there that's not supposed to be there, it's going to attack it. So basically he has to live in a state where his immune system is constantly suppressed so that it doesn't attack the lungs that it knows are not supposed to be in there. So even 10 years later? Forever. Forever. Forever, yeah. And that's true for any transplant patient. They pretty much always have to take... I mean, it makes sense, but... Yeah, they always have to take that. Depending on, you know, some people might not have as many things as he has to take because I think, I know people with kidney transplants and they don't take quite the same cocktail that he does. But yeah, I mean, that's just the case forever. So uh, we just have to be insanely careful. And I mean, the hardest thing for me, I think aside from not being able to go out for sushi. But (laughs) um, the hardest thing for me is that I haven't actually spent any meaningful time with my parents who are in their 80s in like a year. Yeah. I mean, I'll drive by their, I'll sit in the end of their driveway and they'll come out and talk to me or I'll go sit in their back porch and talk to them for a little while. But I don't want to put them at risk. Yep. Because I'm the one that's the wild card because I'm around teenagers all day because I do go to work. And even though the classes are blended, so half are online and half for a person. I'm still... Yeah, you're potentially exposed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because they are the super spreaders, as we well, and we ha- And we have had, actually, I mean, my classroom's been fumigated, and I've had kids test positive and um, have to be out for a couple weeks. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's scary, but, you know, you do what you have to do, because eventually this is going to go away, too. That's the other thing, is just remembering that it's... Um, this isn't permanent. Yeah, and just adding the word yet to the end of all the sentences, you know, like, oh gosh, we can't go out anywhere yet. (laughs) As long as you just keep saying yet, it doesn't seem (laughs) quite so bad. That's a great (laughs) reminder. That's a great reminder. So I want to go back to this lung transplants because I had a situation Mm -hmm. with my husband. We had only been married for six months and Mm -hmm. we thought he was going to die. And I was so freaked up because I was like, I don't even know who our mortgage is company is. Like, (laughs) I I knew nothing. We'd been married for six months. That's so relatable. Yeah. And it was like his, I had to, I was talking with one of his friends who's a financial advisor. And I was like, you may need to help me get his affairs in order. And it was such a horrible place to be. Mm -hmm. And I know, you know, I do have some PTSD from my brother passed away when I was 12 years old. And it was just a very Mm -hmm. sudden tragic thing. And so I, 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 I recognize that, but this was real. Yeah. Did you go there? I mean, we were able to. Well, I mean, yes, certainly, because there was this run up to it. You know, he had made sure that I knew where a living will was and and all that kind of stuff. And this is one of the. This was a me thing. He had made it very clear. He he signed a DNR, a do, a do not resuscitate order, so that if if something happened to him when he was on the table, that was it. He didn't he didn't want them to, you know, do anything that was that would keep him alive artificially. And, you know, just the the reality of him saying that to me was uh, very powerful. And when I was sitting there for the, I think he was in surgery a little over seven hours, uh, and I was sitting in uh, Tampa General Hospital in the, the, you know, surgery waiting room, and I was literally by myself in there. And it was just the reality, like you're saying, of, of all the little things you don't know, but just the fact that I might not ever have him be able to explain some of the, like, what, where this account or that account is, or, I mean, the, the little minutia, I was thinking about that a little bit, but, you know, and, and certainly with COVID, we've actually had some very, I don't like talking about it, but I know we have to, but some very real conversations about stuff like that. And we're actually both of us putting together, or we're putting together a notebook of what to happen if, or what to do if I die. Right. And it just says, this is my burial wishes. This is my, you know, like everything together. And it just, I hate that we have to do that. I mean, it's so practical, I guess, but I, I mean, I don't even like to think about it because I don't, I don't I like know. imagining him not being around every day. And, you know, if he doesn't go to a doctor's appointment, I flip out <laughs> just because, you know, I can't, can't, I can't, I don't like to think about it. I mean, well, reality but um, sounds like you're doing all the right things and i know it's hard it can't be easy i have a a friend who i interviewed Mm -hmm. as well and she has a three-year-old whose immune system is compromised because she was a preemie but she ended up starting a business oh that's great out of it 
And she yeah. has she hasn't left the house or well she leaves the house but she hasn't had any outside food in it's well over 300 days now. Yeah. 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 We ha- we haven't had much. I mean the occasional pizza because it's at 500 degrees or whatever but yeah, we don't really we don't really do that either. So I but that's great for her that she was able to redirect her energy in that way because I think I mean the energy is going to be there, right? That anxiety energy. So you just have to figure out what to do with it. And maybe, you know, I've been honestly I've been crafting like a crazy person. <laughs> like what type of crafts? <laughs> I'm the least crafty person. So I'm All like, really? Them. Like, what's that? <laughs> All of them. Um, yeah, I've been, uh, I, there's a, this crazy charity scavenger hunt that I do every summer called uh, Gish. And it's, there's a lot of it that's crafting. So they did a lot of little mini hunts to save people's sanity over COVID. And so I've done a lot of bizarre weird, insane crafts for that. Um, making masks that, that look like your own face and weird stuff like that. And I, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. I, uh, I worked with the mask project of Tampa Bay, uh, and I probably made about 500 masks for them. So oh my gosh, I've crocheted a lot. I've built all kinds of weird things. I've actually really learned to sew like for real. I, I was, you know, doing all those masks sort of led into me learning how to sew other things. Um, my daughter and I do resin together. That's one of the things that we do. So we do resin art and we just, it's, I think that, you know, to your point about your friend had all this energy that she had to direct. I think I kind of was the same way. And at first I really felt like I needed to direct all my energy to trying to help because being a teacher, you know, all you want to do, you always want to help. You always want to make things better. And so the masks were the only way I could think to do that because there was, there was really nothing else. And I think that's been, a that was a big problem for probably not just me, but a lot of people. It's just the feeling of helplessness. Like there's just, there's just nothing. You, there's nothing you can do. Exactly. It's, yeah. You just, you can't do anything to make it better. You can't, you know, except to, you know, try to look after other people. And so that's, that's where I directed my energy. I think probably I spent the first, the first five or six months. That's literally, I made you know, dozens of masks every day. So it just, it was, it was crazy. Wow. So when are you retiring as a school teacher? Um, after this school year ends, I have two years after this one. So a okay. little, like a little less than two and a half years. So when this year's sophomores graduate, I graduate with them. So, and I'm, I'm very excited about that. Um, just because, I mean, I'll still work. I'm not going to be one of those people. I, I'm not capable of sitting around that long, but, you know, I'm hoping the writing career will, take off, but I'm also, you know, who knows, I might just go become a park ranger part-time or something. Just, you know, <laughs> do work that you don't have to take home with you, you know? <laughs> so your, your pen name is uh, J.B. Kane, yeah. which I think is really cool. So tell Thank me you. about the your first book. Um, so, well, J.B. Kane, actually, funny enough, that name has been in my head since I was about eight years old. Don't know why, but it just got stuck in there. And then when I finally published, I just kept it. Uh, that's, that's what I applied. But, um, so the book is called rise of the moon and it is the first in what I think will be a series. I've got the second book completed and the third book I've cut sort of a rough outline of the second book is in the editing phase right now, the deadly editing phase. Yes. <laughs> but it is, it's basically, I take sort of this, this quirky high school junior and she discovers through a series of accidental events that she is part of a a lineage of people who have abilities through an enchanted tarot card that's been passed down through the generations in her family. And she finds out also that there's, there's more of these, that there's, there's sort of this whole secret cabal out there of, of families that have been part of, of this group that has the, the set of tarot cards. There's sort of a dual thing going on of her, trying to decide how's the right way to use these abilities, but also trying to decide where her moral compass is as a person for that. And also trying to battle this sort of this underground movement, because there are, there's definitely uh, some negativity in that movement that has to do with wanting to control people who are not part of this society versus the idea of free will. So there's this whole control versus three free will theme that kind of goes through the series. It was, it was sort of a fun experiment, but um, the characters are in many ways based on former students of mine. So 
they've been warned. <laughs> as long as you change their name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the um, the idea of the tarot cards is, to me, is a really fun one because I think it gives you the ability to um, have this focusing thing, but really talk about deeper themes uh, and archetypes that come from from the things that the cards represent. And that's so that was part of my experiment as a writer. And from a kid perspective, it's just a good story with magic in it, hopefully. Yeah. Well, I love that you have the whole moral compass and control versus free will. And because it sounds like that you're also teaching something as well at the same yeah, time. Yeah, but in a real sneaky way, I hope. Exactly. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, one of the other things is I'm really hard, I'm trying really hard to have a, a good diversity of characters out there because, the, you know, a lot of times the, the diversity of characters is a little bit uh, weak. In, in some books. So I'm trying to get that out there without it being something where it's, um, you know, a big, I'm not necessarily trying to beat kids over the head with a social message, but I do want them to see diverse characters in really positive, strong roles Nice um, in the story. So that's, that's part of it as well. Well, and I think that's important because, so you're, you live in a metropolitan area, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. As do I. I. I mean, I live in the DC metro area. We're in a bubble here. My husband's from there, so I get Yeah, it. it's a complete bubble. Yeah. This is not reality. I remind my son all the time, like, you have to remember, this is not what America looks like. Mm-hmm. This is very different. And I think that's the case for a lot of metropolitan areas. But you have to remember that in a lot of, you know, middle America, there's not a lot of diversity. Right. Because there, because it's a smaller town. Right. Yeah, or if there is, it's maybe just not diversity they can see. Exactly. You know what I mean? So and and that so that kind of is a is a challenge as a writer is to you know I don't want to do the thing where I'm falling into these dangerous tropes of let me just throw in a random you know black character or a random gay character right. you know I don't want to right. do that I want everybody to be very fully uh, fleshed out in their own right I I basically with the exception of being female I really don't fit any of those diverse categories myself, uh, even though I'm surrounded by people who do. So um, I'm making sure that my beta readers are people that fall into those groups so they can make sure that I'm not accidentally falling into a stereotype or a, you know, a a literary trope that's negative in any way, because, um, you know, I, I think one of the things that hopefully our country will come to realize this is that we really have to recognize that our view of the world isn't isn't all that's out there. And um, just being open to the voices of others yeah. is really important. Well, and I, I know, you know, I had I had to have a long conversation with a good friend of mine because, you know, I'm trying to get on Instagram and I don't like posting <laughs> stuff online. And, so and now hard. like my book's like, out. And, <laughs> but like, you got to do a video. I'm like, do I really have to do a video? I'm like, yeah, I draw one to TikTok though. I refuse. <laughs> I will not TikTok. Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> no, me either. But... But like I was trying to like engage and I made a comment because one of my big things is I believe that you can shift your perception. And when you shift your perception, you can shift your reality. And that is true in many circumstances. And so I had made a comment, long story short, a couple of people because of what I said about shifting your perspective, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden they were calling me a white supremacist. And um, how does that figure because the person was black and okay. And what I said was offensive. And and while anybody who knows me knows that nothing offensive comes out of my mouth, but maybe I don't know what I don't know. So I had right. we had this long conversation. I was like, work with me here. I said, I'm not gonna tell you what was said. Mm-hmm. Let me just ask you, when it comes to racism, can you shift your perspective? And she was like, No, it's not possible. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to have that discussion right. on here. It's, it's, it's not platform. But my point is, is that I think it is a good idea when you're writing about it because, you know, we don't know, right? We're white female. Like, we don't yeah, know. Exactly. And, yeah. and um, you know, I, I think of myself and you and I are basically the same generation where to us, the goal for everything was to be colorblind and to be blind to all of those things. Exactly. Um, and that, that perspective, I think, really shifted in the 90s to that colorblind was not enough because there wasn't, there wasn't an even playing field. So that was really, that, that kind of construct in my brain was very hard for me to, to, to pivot on because, and, and I think probably still to me, ultimately the goal 
should be that no, that nothing should matter more than the color of your eyes, right? I mean, it, it should all be the same, whether it's color or gender identity or sexual orientation or religion or whatever it is. But I'm trying to make a point of listen to, listening to people who that's not their experience and that's not their perspective and that's not. So, I mean, I think even though like to me, I think that that should be the ultimate goal. Maybe we're just not in a place where we can really be there until some other things have, have fallen into place. And I think exactly. that's where I'm, that's what I'm trying to do with, with my head is to just really listen to people's voices who are not like mine. Yeah. Um, no, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Good for you. Cause I, it is, it is really hard because you know, we just don't know what we don't know. And if we haven't right. experienced it, it's really hard to go down that path. And, and I learned the hard way. And I, you know, no matter how apologetic I was, you know, and yeah. no harm was done, you know, at the end of the day. But I, I just felt so horrible that, sure. oh my gosh, I'm sorry. Well, I'm really fortunate you know? because teaching debate, we, we discuss, and I, you know, I tell kids when they enter the class, we're going to be talking about controversial stuff here all the time. So, if you're easily triggered, this might not be either. This is a great place for you to start being able to hear other voices or, you know, it, it might not be right for you. But I have had some really great opportunities with not only current kids from my debate team, but kids who were on my debate team 10 years ago, who I'm still close to, who are willing to have really hard conversations with me, but from a place of love. And I think I think there's so much healing possible if people can come at it that way. Absolutely. You know, that you you know, people are gonna say stuff you don't like and they're going to have perspectives you don't like. But if you recognize that you you love each other as humans, then you may not agree on everything, but you can recognize that, you know, nothing is intended to hurt each other. It's just sharing of perspectives. And I think that that's that's as good a place to start as any. <laughs> yeah, and and we need to get there as a country because too yeah. many people are so stuck in you know my way or the highway kind of right. mentality and you know. Well, I think our politicians aren't helping much with that. No, they're not. It's <laughs> so a mess. I'm gonna, it's I'm a mess. Blame I'm blaming your town for that. Yes. Oh, yeah. absolutely. hey, I, I, yeah. Trust me, I'm, I'm in Virginia though. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, my husband is from from uh, he he went to like Braddock High School. Oh, okay. So, yeah. yeah. Right there in your. Right yep. there in your area, Fairfax. So. Yeah, yeah. I'm in Loudon. I'm out in Loudon okay. now. But um, okay. yeah, but yeah. I mean, it's you know, I see the same new news everybody else does. It's you know, not like when you live here. It, there's nothing. We just stay away from the city. Yeah, you know? yeah. And especially well, now because it's really it's not a good place to go right now. Well, you know, you've been talking about like you know, sort of how to keep your mental health in a good place during all these dark times and stuff like that. And one of the things that's been a big thing in this ties into what we were just saying is taking breaks from social media. Oh yeah. Um, and just literally unplugging. So it's not that I'm not still on social media, but there's a lot of people I've unfollowed so that I don't see their comments anymore. Same here. I've had to do a lot of that. Even though I may love them as people, mm -hmm. they, they may post things that are hurtful or sometimes I hate to say it, but even ignorant. So, you know, I've had to un unfollow some people for that not necessarily unfriend them because I'm not rejecting them as a human. I just don't want to see the negativity constantly. Exactly. And I had this conversation with somebody else because they're, oh, I'll just unfriend them. And I said, well, you don't have to unfriend them. You don't have to yeah. block them. You can just right. unfollow. And then that way you can still be friends, you know, whatever. But it, you're right. It is. It's it, taking a news fast, social media fast. It's a great right. idea because it, right. it just it just becomes too much. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I had to do that several times uh, over the last year where I just had to say, look, guys, I'm, I'm not going to be on social media for about two, three days. I just I, I have to stop and I have to because it, even if you are trying to be positive and even if you are being sucked in by that stuff, I think the constant barrage of it is not good for our collective mental health. I, I really think it's not because there's just so much of it that's divisive out there on both sides. It's not even it's not one side or the other. It's it's everybody's an equal opportunity offender out there. I, I think. Oh yeah. I think it, it's sometimes you just have to, I don't know, have nothing more complicated than going out in your garden or something or going for a walk or, you know. Well, see, I just feel like if you don't have anything positive to say, then just don't say it. And I was yeah. shocked today when I did go on Facebook and I was just, you know, I, I go through, just see what my family, mostly just to see what my family is up to. 
Right. And I couldn't believe how many negative posts, you know, we just had the Super Bowl, how many negative their posts there were about the C- Super Bowl halftime. Like, yeah, why I are you so negative? That. Like, but being why? a Tampa girl, I'm a happy camper right now. So I'm all good with the Super Bowl. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, oh, I was thrilled yeah. to see. I wanted to see. I was rooting for Tom Brady. I mean, I'm yeah. I'm not a fan of either team, but I was, you know, I wanted him to win again. But but my point is, it's just, yeah. why? Why do you need to post something negative? Why is your negative opinion so important? I just don't understand it. I, I can't wrap my head around that. So, And the yeah. thing is, I, I mean, I guess a, part of this, I think, is to something you said earlier, uh, a basic mindset issue, because when I watched it, was it was it Prince at the halftime show? No, right. it wasn't. But I was really impressed that The Weeknd, who I know exactly two songs by him. Is a, yeah, you know, I, I know maybe, I knew every one that he sang, put it that way, yeah. but I don't know all well, then you do more than me. You <laughs> <laughs> do, but I, I, I was so impressed that the way that it was choreographed and the way that it was costumed, it was clearly designed to keep his dancers, of which there were probably what two hundred and fifty or something. It was designed to keep them safe. Exactly. And I thought to myself, it was wonderful the, the way the way they did it. The heart that must have gone into that decision. I, I just thought that was, you know, and so that's what I focused on. Was it, like I said, was it Prince? No, but it yeah, was. For me, it wasn't Maroon 5, but hey, you know, I would have yeah, loved to see Adam Levine, but hey. Yeah, look, who wouldn't <laughs> want to look at Adam Levine? But I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like, it's it was just, you know, that's what I, that's what I looked at. I didn't, I didn't necessarily really know the songs, but I, I just, I, I thought that was really nice. And that, that's what struck me. And, you know, I, I've read a, a lot of studies that, that say that if you, if you focus on, as you know, back to an earlier point, things to be grateful for instead of things you're upset about, your brain will actually make pathways to that. Absolutely. Like it'll reset itself. So I think that just making that that daily habit of of gratitudes, I think that probably that's been a, as much a help as anything, if, if not even for my husband and me, but especially for my daughter, because I want to set an example for her of not sitting around complaining about how tough things are right now. You know, because then she would feel worse. And, you know, she's she's uh, just barely a teenager. And I don't want to start creating habits in her that are going to lead her to suffer from anxiety and stuff like that. I mean, what you model is what they learn a lot of the time. And I just absolutely bring that for her. So, yeah, I mean, I've raised my son. Didn't always focus on gratitude. I do that today. But it was always just because we've had a lot of you know, multiple traumatic things happened when he was just turned 13, as a matter of fact. And so his whole theme is like, everything happens for a reason. So now, when he does get into his moments where he gets anxious about something, I hear him out because that's what he wants. He wants me to listen. I I let him go through that. And then I bring up gratitude. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, start thinking about everything that you have to be grateful for. And we actually had this long conversation about a month ago. I talk about it in one of my earlier podcasts where I was on the phone with him for an hour while he was driving back to college because it was a nine-hour drive. And it was like the last hour and he was really upset. And then, you know, we, we started talking about gratitude and the shift in him was so quick yep. where the last 20 minutes of our call, he was laughing, we were joking, and and it was just incredible how yep. his whole everything just shifted like that. It's so powerful. And that's what gratitude does. It's so powerful. It really is. And and I think that, you know, it's not that we want to hide negativity from our kids because obviously it, it's very important in, to for kids to know that you, you're allowed to not be okay sometimes. Absolutely. But I think it's also important for them to see you come through the other side of it. So, you know, if, if, you know, my daughter sees me at a time where I'm really upset about something. I don't hide that from her. I want her to see that. But then I want, uh, then I'll say to her, you know, this is, this is temporary. I'm upset right now, but I'm, I'm going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. And once I feel better, I'll try to figure out what to learn from this. Nice. That's, you know, so it's like, I think it's so important for people just to not feel the pressure that they have to pretend that everything's fine all the time. Exactly. But also not to not to get stuck there, you know, feel it and, you know, embrace it, let it kind of flow like the river, so to speak, but then let it 
let it go and, and, and move on from it. And, you know, anything that's not a blessing is a lesson, right? So. Yeah, well said. <laughs> Very well said. And, and you do. And I think, I think people need to really understand that, that it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel angry. Mm-hmm. It's a normal, and we and have to feel that way. Things doesn't mean you're not a happy person. You right. can be happy and have moments of sadness or anger or mm-hmm. whatever. Happy is a, I think sometimes is a choice. Oh, totally. But yeah. when, but things happen. You know, I always say life happens while we're busy making other plans, and <laughs> it's just what you do with it when that happens. And it's okay. You know, you feel the pain, feel the anger, feel the sadness, and go through it. Right. And get to the other side, like you're, you're teaching your daughter, which is a just an absolutely beautiful message to her. Well, and, and I and I think she's really a, a good canvas too, because she does absorb those things, and I I see I see that modeling taking place in her behavior as well. Like when she's had something happen that's bad, you know, thirteen is a rough year. I think we can all agree. Maybe not as rough as fifteen, but it's still is still rough. And um, but she. Is she doesn't hide it when she's sad, and she also she'll she'll talk about things, and then once she's had a chance to really just express it and feel it, and you know, we'll say, do you, do you want me to listen or do you want me to solve? So once we once we've had that moment, and she, you know, let me know when you know if you want to sit here with me, that's fine, and let me know when when you're ready to talk more. So she's she's really good about that kind of thing, and um, well, yeah, because women. <laughs> was interviewing a man. I'm like, good for you. Like he was like, no, I've just learned how I can't solve everything. I'm like, exactly. You can't fix everything. And I'm like, because with women, we want just to be heard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? We need to be heard first. <laughs> well, and I think that's important to to have that at the beginning, like when somebody's really upset and I, you know, okay, do you want a solution or do you want a friend? I, just which one do you want right now? And then I'll approach it from that point of view. So I love it. I love yeah. it. That's awesome, Jennifer. Because it is. It's hard. When you're a teacher, you want to solve everything, too. Of course. <laughs> and I think, I mean, just as humans, when, when you are when you have that innate within you where you want to help people, because yeah. I'm, you know, mm-hmm. I'm the same way. You know, you want it, but, but you do have to learn, you know, just listen. That's great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that, like, doing podcasts like the one you're doing, and, and um, there are some other things out there that the the good news network that John Krasinski does and, and stuff yes. like that. I think, I think those are really striking a chord with people because people, people are tired of feeling bad about stuff. They want to hear about good things too, because there's so much negativity, like you said at the very beginning that they, they want to see those, you know, they, they always say, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. But I think that there's a lot of people out there that are, are just tired and, and hearing happy stories and hearing positivity. I think it starts to do that rewiring thing in the brain where they, they go, wow. Okay. So, you know, if I could take one nugget out of this, that makes me feel a little bit better about my situation than maybe, you know, going forward. Well, like you said, things, things can always be worse. (laughs) Right. And it's tool, it's tools in the toolbox, right? You hear about, well, this works for this one person to help them feel better. Um, the more tools you have in your toolbox, then the the better you are at combating (laughs) those really negative moments and letting them pass, like like we said. You're and, speaking my language. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Jennifer, this has been such a great talk on so many different levels, so I really appreciate it. Is there anything else that you want to share with the audience? Um, just, you know, uh, and, and thank you very much for having me today, and, um, you know, thank you for, for letting me mention Rise of the Moon to everybody, and I, you know, I just want to say that I think what you're doing here is is really, really good, and just to the folks out there, just make a point to count your blessings and, and, uh, you know, like the song says, fall asleep, counting your blessings and, um, just, just be good to each other. It's so important. We all need it right now. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. All right, Jennifer. And where can we find your book? Uh, well, it's available on Amazon in both Kindle and in print. So then on my, uh, website, jbkane.com, which came with an E, I will be hopefully setting up a link for people who want to purchase autograph copies soon. I'm working on getting the PayPal and all that set up for that. But the just the book at, in Kindle version and on regular paperback is available on Amazon now. Fantastic. Thank you again, Jennifer. Thank you so much. And uh, take care. Hang in there. You're doing great. Thanks a lot.
<laughs> talk about talking to somebody that speaks your language. That was great. I really enjoyed that and and the discussion. And I loved that she talked about gratitude. I was blown away when she brought that up because I, I was just not expecting it. And uh, it's such an important part of my message and my life. And that's what this podcast is about. You know, I want to lift people up, share inspiring stories that make you feel good. We all can use that with everything that's going on in today's world. So I hope you enjoyed it. You can purchase J.B. Kane's novel on Amazon. It's in Kindle version and print version. You can check out our website at jbkane.com, and that is J-B-C-A-I-N-E.com. You can follow her on Facebook, and her Facebook page is at Real J.B. Kane. On Instagram, she is at Author J.B. Kane. Hope you enjoyed this today. As always, you can purchase my book, Happiness Solved, Climbing 100 Steps, on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And you can get it in print and Kindle version. If it's not already out, it'll be in the Kindle version as well. I'm working on the audiobook. That takes a little bit longer. My website is sandyscarlotta.com, and you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Coach Sandy Scarlotta. Thank you again for joining me and giving me the honor and privilege of you supporting my podcast. I hope that you and your family stay safe and healthy and that your life is filled with peace, joy, happiness, and of course, gratitude. Until next time, take it easy, everyone.